Blessing is a funny thing, isn't it? Many folks throughout history, when they want to bestow a blessing upon someone, they would lay their hands upon them. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this, is this, or is this completely foreign? I, it's one of the two, probably. We do this now when we pray for others, right? We lay our hands upon somebody, especially if it's something serious. We really want to let them know that we are supporting them, that we're joining together with them in, in, uh, in prayer. Uh, ministers for a very long time have had a pattern of, of ending their worship's order of service by holding up their hands and speaking a word of blessing, much like this, as you can see me doing right now. Uh, we, would, we would do this when we would lay hands and he- for healing and anointing people. Uh, when we see baptisms, baby dedications, and even the ordination service, if you've ever been to one, they, there's, just, there's only so much head space and shoulder space that <laughs> so many ordained ministers can, you know, are going to touch the new ordinance, but they just want to and they are laying their hands upon them. Uh, this practice firmly has its roots in the laying on hands during the early church days uh, when uh, more often than not, um, one person would pray for and with the one that they had their hands laid on so that they could receive the Holy Spirit. It's a pattern that we see in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Uh, I believe hands are very important to receive things. Wouldn't you? Hands are very important when you want to receive things. Now, before I start into the message today, I no way want to say that those without hands, and I'm not joking, but those without hands, I'm not saying that they are unable to receive blessings or unable to receive a blessing. However, uh, during the message today, we'll finish up this last passage. We'll see the importance of what hands represent and how we can best use them. So I hope that's all clear, not kind of identifying people who don't have hands for some reason. They're not any less than anybody else in the regards of being a person being able to receive or to bless. But now we will evaluate our today in this message, our possessions, our pocketbooks, and our pride to see just how we might live our blessed life now. Uh, We look at our first passage and we think about this. What is in your hands? Your most prized possessions or temporary trinkets? Uh, Verses 27 through 31 read as follows. Uh, Yeah, 27 through 31. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We're going to pause right there. I wanted to look at some of the key words in these verses, namely the verbs, the action words, right? The words that show action. So the first, these four action words, if you will, are as follows. Love, do good, bless, and pray for. You'll see that in your fill in the blanks today. The word here for love, surprisingly enough, uh, the, the form in Greek is agapeo, or it's a form of agape. You may be familiar with it. It's one of the uh, several words that's used for love in the Greek language, uh, the it would be described, a definition, to love, to value, esteem, 
feel or manifest generous concern for. It's an interesting way to put it. Manifest generous concern for. Be faithful towards, to, to delight in, or to set store upon. A very strange and extreme way for us to agapeo or to love our enemies. But that brings me to a question when we say, well, love our enemies. You know, Jesus taught about neighbor, who is, and then the question was, who is my neighbor? When we talk about enemies, well, who is my enemy? <laughs> you probably actually know someone who, or maybe you just, in your mind, you have a type of person who you have, let me put it like this, less than a sunny disposition towards, okay? We're not going to say you hate them. For whatever reason in your mind, I'm not going to go into all of that, but you have less than a sunny disposition towards, air quotes. We're just going to classify that as your enemy for today's sake. But if you can't think of anyone or any type of person, then perhaps you are agapeoing very well, okay? You're doing it. But what of the other action words, do good, bless, pray for? Well, these are the ways that we manifest this agape love. This is the way that we manifest the agape love. The tense of these words are imperative, okay? Uh, I couldn't remember all of these words. I had to research it again. It's been a number of years since I had a Greek lesson. But I do understand when it says imperative. Something imperative means the action is obligatory or out of duty. If you were in the military, you would follow orders, if, you had, if your boss told you to do something, it's part of your job, you do the thing that they told you to do. It's obligatory, it's part of ours. If, you're, if the duty of a security guard is to guard the security of the place that they work in, then that's what they do, right? It's in the title. It's that type of feeling behind these words. Do good, bless, pray for. They're not options. They're not just they're not good advice that we should just give it a try. I'm going to try to be nicer to that person. I'm, trying, I'm going to try to do good or to bless or to pray for. No, it's imperative. Do good, bless, pray for are musts. If you can get all those in there, musts. By virtue of what? By virtue of what are they musts? Well, pursuit of living a blessed life now. You see, Jesus moves from the general to the specific in these verses. He starts from love, and we think of love, and we might think of big love, fluffy valentines, stuffed animals, candy chocolates, flowers, kind words, maybe smooching. I think there's a song that puts it best. What is love? Love is too general to just leave it out there on, on its own, so he moves closer to the specifics. How are we gonna show love? Let's get closer. Do good, bless, pray for your enemies. After that, he follows up with a very clear, it's even tighter in here, clear, specific, practical ways that we can do good, bless, and pray for. He says, you get slapped in the face? You hear me now? Offer the other side as well. Now, I don't know what you think about this verse, and a lot of people get really upset about this one. And I don't know if you are aware of this, but if you've not traveled the world or um, National Geographic is not your thing, um, you may not know, but there are gestures 
in each and every culture that that specific culture finds offensive that other people are like, what is that all about? Okay? Um, a peace sign would not be offensive here in the U.S. I hope not anyway. But don't turn it around when you're in the U.K. and, and, and strongly gesture it at someone. That is a very crude thing to do. Uh, in, the, in India, one of the worst things that you can do socially is to show a person the soles of your feet or to use your feet to point to or touch things. The idea is the feet are very dirty and unclean. Uh, that is the concept there, but that is a very offensive thing. I remember a number of years ago, I don't know if it was a former sitting president and he had like put his foot up over on, on his knee and his foot was pointing at somebody and they got really upset about it. Um, that's what came to my mind when I, I looked up this one on India. But getting slapped in the face is certainly a gesture of disrespect. Would you, would you agree with me? I mean, it goes back, if you think about it, it goes back to the old dueling thing, right? You grab your glove out, you're like, right upside the slap, slap upside the head. They are not permanently injured. You got a cloth little glove. Even, even an open hand slap to the face it doesn't communicate that I wanted to knock you out. If I did, I'd close my fist. It's a sign of disrespect. It is a sign of disrespect to slap somebody in the face with your hand. What turning the other cheek is less about, it's not about resisting self-defense in the name of Christian love, okay? A lot of people think that. Well, turn the other cheek. Well, I got to defend myself. That's not what this passage is talking about. If we stop and think about it, the worst a person can do to you is slap both your cheeks. I mean, yeah, they could probably kick you in afterwards, but let's just say that if you, if you get slapped, you get disrespected on one side, you offer the only other cheek you have available to them to get the exact same treatment. Except you took control and are in charge of offering it, kind of taking away a little bit of their power. But that's a whole other message and sermon and probably a psychology book, I suppose. You've taken control to offer that incoming sign of disrespect. You take it and show that it won't make you cower. It won't control you to the point of a fight. You won't be provoked in that way. And here's the real practical application for us today. We don't go around slapping each other in the face. I certainly hope not. But we certainly get hurt and disrespected by people who clearly are the enemy. In that enemy category we talked about earlier. We get all indignant and riled up. We get ready to fight back with one-liners. Name-calling, in fact, and even and here's the thing that's even more pop, popular because it's probably very true. We point out the flaws in the other person, tossing that back at them and out there for all to see. That's how we slap them back. And Jesus says, Mm-mm, offer the other cheek. Love for enemies looks like not firing back when you could, plus offering another opportunity for them to disrespect you. It's radical. If more Christians who are politicians followed this political, followed this, then political advisors, hear me now, the campaign attacks we all endured for months upon months would have been completely one-sided. 
It would have been in each and every race. Save for people not actually being Christians, but that's a whole other thing. Let's move on. The last little bit of verse 29, 29b. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Jesus gets even more practical. So we've got this, we've got this, I love how this whole passage seemed to be like concentric circles, the way that it keeps moving in from the general to the specific, from the large group to the specific group. He says, okay, love, do good, pray for, bless, keeps getting closer. Here's some practical things. What are you gripping so tightly? What is it that you're holding on to for dear life? You slap me all you want. I'm losing my, you know, I, I've got control there. But don't come up and take my stuff. Don't come up and take my, my shirt and my coat and my shoes. Are you gripping those things that are prized possessions so tightly? I know it seems kind of weird. Who's going to like take the shirt off your back, rip it off your back? That's weird. Maybe your coat that keeps you warm in this cold climate here in Wisconsin. Our prized possessions are merely temporary trinkets and are not to be held on to so tightly. Sure, we have the blessing and the freedom and uh, the right of property. It's wonderful God has bestowed it upon us. And we have that idea that like, hey, this is my cell phone? You guys, I will, I will text somebody for you. I'll call them for you. I will help navigate. If somebody came up and took my phone from me, I'd probably have a problem with it, okay? Uh, because I have a concept of property, this, this right of property. But what Jesus says here says, somebody comes up and tries to take your very basic property and then your even more extravagant needed jacket property Don't stop them because these trinkets, even a cell phone, even a tablet, even blessed electricity, these trinkets are just that. They ought not to be prized possessions. They're temporary. As we move into our next section of scripture, we ask the question again, what's in your hand? Is it a promissory note or mercy? Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to those, do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Have you ever taken out and you can head nod, you can 
hands, amen, I don't care, but a little bit of, uh, we're alive here. Have you ever taken out a loan for something? Yeah? Begrudgingly so. If you ever had to take out a loan, somebody had to lend you some money so that you can buy a thing. Or uh, you could, for me, uh, education, maybe a car, home, uh, maybe a loan to pay off medical bills. I don't know. Financial institutions loan money in order to surprise, make money. They're not just benevolent organizations. They have a side effect. They have a side benefit of helping keep a certain level of stability in a society, right? Uh, We see what happens when banks crash and it causes societies to crash as well because we're dependent on them. Though I might argue that the levels that we set at such high standards are probably because lending institutions have lent money. But I digress. Banks expect to be paid back. Obvious, right? They expect to be paid back. You can only defer your loan for so long. Interest compounds and things get out of control. And on top of that, there's a scoreboard, maybe you know about this thing, designed to keep you borrowing and paying back what you borrow for a long time. And you're judged for it and the, your ability to uh, borrow for a car or a home later on in life is, is based on this credit score. It's not a financial peace lecture here. I know that felt like it for a second here. But I want to point out that banks are businesses. They're not benevolent people. They are businesses. It is much different than when one person lends to another. When one person lends to another. Jesus says, lend, not expecting anything back. Why does he say that? I think it's this reason. Why do we hold on to to mercy instead of a promissory note? Why would we do that? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Why would we lend without expecting anything back? Something that God would do. You want to reflect the heart of God in your life? You want to have the blessed life now? Like Jesus describes? You've got to love your enemies. You've got to be merciful just as God is merciful. Speaking of mercy, it's usually what people beg for at the sentencing hearing for the crimes that they've committed. If you follow the news, there's numerous uh, high-level crime things going on right now, murders and things of that nature that are getting a lot of buzz, and then, of course, they're going to have their day in court. Um, And we've seen other people over the last couple years have big, high-profile days in court. And when sentencing time comes down, that's when people go, beg for mercy. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, please, like, lighten my sentence. They're begging for mercy. And so we round things off by asking, what's in your hands? Is it a gavel or an olive branch? Verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. <sighs> okay, this passage finally came up, huh? 
Whoever thinks the Bible isn't practical hasn't read it enough. Okay, you can quote me on that. I, I made that one up, but that's true. Whoever thinks the Bible isn't practical hasn't read it enough. Jesus gives us very doable, practical ways to live out this blessed life of loving our enemies. Never said it was easy, but it's practical and applicable. If we only put these you know, four or five things into place each and every day of our life, we'd probably have disappearing enemies because they'd cease to be enemies. But I feel like we'd be a little bit more blessed each and every day that we do them. But perhaps, perhaps people are skipping this particular passage and this particular section of the Bible when they're reading it. Who knows? And here it is. Don't judge. We've heard this, this come over and over again. And it's not just from the pulpit. It's not from our Bible studies. It is from the secular world. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. It's true. It seems this is the one verse that every non-Christian, atheist, whatever they want to be in on, on, on a Thursday, I don't know, whatever every non-Christian who has been hurt, hear me now, by church people, who has been hurt by church people, they've got this one verse memorized, word for word, give or take a few words, right? The funny thing is about memorization, I mean, you can memorize all kinds of math equations and a Pythagorean theorem, but you don't know how to use it. You can memorize a Bible verse, but not understand what it's all about and its context and how it ought to be applied to your life. So I wanna unpack this particular verse and the ones following it here. So, so those listening to this today, we are getting a better picture of the context of this powerful verse. It lives within this teaching of loving your enemies. I know your Bible and my Bible might have changed headings uh, in between here, be merciful. And then we move on over to verse 37 and the title changes from loving your enemies to judging each other. But I do feel like these top, these verses that we've read in here actually roll in there. The, the context of the words being used here do, do not uh, say to me, hey, we're changing subjects right now. Entirely and completely, we're not talking about enemies anymore. Uh, you can't judge without having an enemy in your life or without having somebody you feel like has done wrong and you could, you could actually gavel them out and send them to prison. So the way that it's written here, there doesn't seem to be any break between verses 36 about being merciful all the way down to withholding judging others. It's important to note that this verse does not mean we should not make judgments, right? It doesn't mean we should not make judgments. If someone seems dishonest in their business dealings with others, you might be wary of doing business with them yourselves, okay? When we get a reference for a, a, a dentist or a whatever, we wanna make sure that it's a good one or um, they tried this food and, and you know I trust them and, and it was really good. Those types of things, we wanna make sure those judging, those judgments we can make. Do not judge has everything to do with a person's heart. We can't successfully judge a person's heart. Only God can. Therefore, where do we leave that judgment? 
we leave it in the Father's hands. We don't condemn others, we forgive. In return, we get forgiven and not condemnation. We get forgiven and not condemnation. This is important because the Holy Spirit's job is to convict a person's heart, drawing sinners to repentance. And what's our job? To love our enemies. I want to just examine verse 38 for a moment. It says this, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Whew, there it is. There's that verse. Does it give you tingles every time you hear it? Or maybe you kind of cringe when you hear it because you've heard it way too many times by people who you're still not sure what they're talking about. Well, we are. What, what is it that's being given? That's one of the questions I had upon reading this one. In the verse just prior to it, it's mercy and forgiveness. And it's curious how so many preachers and teachers Jump on this verse, and where do they apply it? Material blessings. Material blessings, right? Now, we're going to receive an offering here. God's been good, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. And how much has he blessed you? Hmm. Uh, and, then, and then they'll say something like, the Bible says a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and they, may, they probably don't do that with the offering plate, so forgive me if that was that religious bit. You know, the, they, they, could Jesus' words here apply to material blessings? Eh, blessing back to ministry, sure, could. But in the context of this verse, if you look at the passages before it, after it, what's wrapping it around there, I'm saying no. It's a hard pass. It's not about material wealth. It's not even about paying in tithes and offerings and extra blessings into the church so that you can get blessed in some way, shape, or form outside the church. That is pop culture, uh, psychology, self-help nonsense. Okay? And I've subtly done a few digs on that today. I'm just going to let you know. Now, what is it that could be pouring out and shaken down in your lap? And you're like, oh, what's all this in my lap? Mercy. Forgiveness. When you live that life where you love your enemies and don't give them what's coming to them, that's mercy. When you live the life where you don't hold their sins against them, that's forgiveness. What do we do? Shake it up. Dump it in your lap. More is coming your way. Why? I mean, that that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to give out this stuff and then more of it's coming my way. How? Because you can't outgive God. I know that's a cliche that a lot of uh, health and wealth uh, preachers would say, but here, this is the actual application. Mercy, forgiveness. There is no way that we could outgive God. We should certainly continue to reflect God, but he has so much more for us and we have so much to be forgiven of and to receive his mercy of. He's always going to forgive more, to be more merciful, to love more, to heal more. We are tremendously blessed when we live a life doing what Jesus said, when we are his disciples, his apostles, his sent ones. 
As we conclude today's message, let's take a step back and remember who Jesus was talking to originally. We looked at it just last week. It was a large group of people when he started talking about the blessings and the woes and then the love got to the large group when he started talking. But I tell you who hear me, the love for enemies that we talked about. He's got this large group of people made up of several different groups. That large group, that multitude, and there was people that came from the far north to the far south to hear and see Jesus. They wanted to be blessed by him. They wanted to be healed of illnesses. They wanted to touch him and receive his power. And then it also can include his disciples, the large group of disciples, those who submitted to following his teachings, who drew near to him when uh, some were drawn even nearer, and those became the 12 apostles. And we looked at that last week as well. The original audiences that we talked about last week were searching for something outside of themselves. They could seek it all they wanted to, but not receive it. They couldn't receive it when their hands were full. You guys know I work at, a, at the co-op. I constantly uh, see customers, and I've done this myself before. When you feel like you're just coming in for two or three things, do you get a shopping cart or a basket? No. You load down your arm with a couple things, and then on your way out, you turn around, oh, I forgot this, and I need that. And I, one of my favorite things is that I get to see somebody, and, and I say, oh, can I get you a basket for that? Can I help you? Would you like a basket? And I go grab them a basket if they want it. And they're like, no, I'm fine, most of them. But it's really funny to see somebody have an arm full of groceries. They're probably going to drop a few on the way out. And, uh, but the thing is, is that there's only so much your arms can take. And you can't receive more into your arms if you're already holding something. If you're already carrying all that you have, if your arms are full, you cannot receive any more. I'm constantly amazed. There was an analogy that was very similar and an illustration. Constantly amazed at how much I picked up when I was a young teen that didn't seem to mean much to me at that time. And later on in my life now, I reflect back on that wisdom and I, I just see it and experience it in my own life. Uh, one illustration I received during something called lay witness mission. I don't know if you guys ever experienced it up here, but in Illinois, it was happening on our district. Um, this idea of what surrender to uh, God's will and way looks like. So instead of having this big old box and trying to pretend like I can lift it properly in my hands of my life, of, of my hurt against my enemies, all that stuff, in order to receive something from God or to re release it, I have to put my hands down. I have to set that down. And have you ever tried picking up dead, dead weight like this? It's, you're going to hurt your back. You got, you're stretching over here. And the illustration was hands outstretched, palms down. It's not like zombies or anything like that. But the idea is you cannot hold much weight here. You can't receive. Yeah, we can receive from God here, right? But you can't keep holding on to the past. The hurt against those enemies. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, love them. 
And here's the practical ways you can love them. Let go of your ability, your trinkets, your prized possessions. Let go of your gavel. Let go of that promissory note. Hey, they owe me. They wronged me. I'm going to make them pay. No, I'm going to give them forgiveness and mercy. Jesus knew the key was love for enemies. His audience had differing levels of devotedness. They would need to live out his teachings in order to be truly blessed. In John's gospel, chapter 13, Jesus was having a meal with his disciples. And as part of that meal, he takes off his outer clothing and he takes on a towel and wraps the towel of a servant and begins to wrap it around himself and wash his disciples' feet. And in verse 15, it says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Blessed. The blessing of loving our enemies. The blessings spoken of throughout Luke 6. And here in John 13, Christ's teachings. We are blessed not just because we hear them, but if we truly live them out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what does it look like for us to have a blessed life now? Not a best life now, where we can have greater stuff and things and a better job and more money or more food on the table. But what does it truly look like to be blessed? What are the things that we can actually do to interact with that? It's love our enemies as we see today. Something so radical that people who hold on to those heavy boxes of bitterness and pride and our, our temporary trinkets and those things that we, that we feel like other people owe us or our ability to judge them. Oh God, would you be merciful to us and may we release those things today with hands outstretched, palms down. May you forgive us as we forgive others. And be merciful to us as you, as we are merciful to others. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would strengthen us this week as we go into a time perhaps people are thankful and perhaps people are not. And I pray that you would help us in our hearts to reflect thankfulness before a world who doesn't know why they ought to be thankful. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. And may the, God, the great head of the church bless and keep you and enable you to be faithful in all good works that your life and witness may be effective in care for the poor and oppressed and in leading others to Christ. Amen. You're dismissed. Go in peace.